Hi there, your buddy the humble farmer here with an hour of old-fashioned music just for you. Thank you for listening. I can tell you that when you're 81 years old, you don't feel a bit different than you did when you were 22 years old. When I was 22, I was so tired I couldn't get out of my tracks then either. But some things do change when you get old, and I'm going to tell you about one of them. The other night, when my wife Marsha cleaned the dishes off the supper table, she said to me, Are you going to finish eating the rest of the salad that's on your shirt? Hi there, this is Clark Terry here, reminding you to pull your bearskins a little closer to the fire. That's it. <laughs> now you're talking to me. Ah, watch out for those snapping sparks. Everybody cozy? Now the good news is that you're in time for the humble farmer. You've worked hard all day, and you deserve to relax now. So stay right there and listen to the best of this kind of music. <laughs> Wilson, I hope it didn't blow you away when it started there, my word. The, uh, the email said that the St. George Community Sailing Foundation teaches sailing, seamanship, and water safety to young sailors ages 9 to 18. That's what it says. All of, and uh, this is of all skill levels. And they're doing this in beautiful tents harbor on the coast of Maine. 
learn how to sail a boat. Hmm. Imagine that. What a, what a fun thing for kids to do. Of course, in 1946, we had a few old neighbors who used to sail boats and a lot of neighbors who earned a living in power boats. But back then, I, I never heard one kid in St. George who wanted to learn how to sail a boat. How things have changed. long ago and far away. I don't know who was playing trumpet there. They certainly had him mic'd up right. Do you know, do you have any idea what kind of memories talk of sailing a boat invokes in an old man who was born in a community that went to sea? When I was 10, 11 years old, I listened to old men who had learned to sail when they were children. Captain Thomas told me of hearing the mate's boots clumping down the ladder, you know, the rousy mountain of morning. Because he didn't need to say anything to him. He could hear him coming, the boots coming, clump, clump, clump. And he told me what it was like to work up in the rigging, who knows how far up it from the deck, trying to straighten things out in a howling gale when he was 14 years old. Now, if you couldn't hang on, they probably didn't ask you to go up there and do it again. 
I can still see Captain Thomas looking down at me with a smile as he shook his head and said over and over, You don't know. You don't know. Mole and his little molars or somebody. Miff Mole Red Nichols. Can you imagine? We talking about Captain Thomas going to sea when he was fourteen. Can you imagine letting a fourteen-year-old kid work on a vessel hauling freight between New York City and Japan, someplace? For generations of Saint George people, going to sea before you were old enough to shave was the norm. I'm talking about my ancestors and all my ancestors' relatives. By the time he was 19, I.D. Thomas was a captain. And as I recall, the, this is the way I remember the story. The ship's owners wrote to St. George and asked for A. Thomas, his older brother Arthur. But R.D. A. Thomas, another A. Thomas, younger brother, took the job instead. 
And though he'd been at sea for four or five years by then, he said he learned celestial navigation by some serious reading in his cabin very soon after he was captain of his own own ship, his own coaster. He told me that he could come up from Cuba to New York City and, and when he couldn't read the stars, put his bow right on the Ambrose light ship with only dead reckoning and a lead line. Of course, I could see that in my mind when I was was a bit older because, uh, well, we used to come in on the air. You'd always see the Ambrose light ship, big red thing that said Ambrose and white letters on it. You'd see it when you came up the coast, came up past New York. And Captain Thomas said that the mass was so high on one of his ships that he cleaned off the topmost flag going under some bridge coming in New York. I remember a lot of those old stories. Well, something's got to happen here. <laughs> Thing to do was that for you. 
Boswell Sisters from way back when I was a child sometime. Thank you for listening to The Humble Farmer here on your favorite radio station. You know, with any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. I am thehumblefarmer at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Talking about Captain Thomas here today. Captain Thomas' great-grandfather was a brother to my great-grandfather, Gilchrist. I made Captain Thomas was a third cousin to me. I didn't know it till I was quite quite along in age. And on one side of my great-grandfather's gravestone, on the north side is carved, Lost at Sea. Mother said that Andy Wyeth painted a close-up of that side of the stone, that Lost at Sea thing, years ago, but I never saw it. Maybe you could find it online, I don't know. The H.S. Gregory was a big square rigger. H.S. Gregory was built in Thomaston by my grandfather's uncle. The captain was my grandfather's cousin, Ed Watts, and one of the chief owners was Samuel Watts, uh, another distant cousin. And in 1882, my mother's father, my grandfather, was on this. In 1882, my grandfather was on this H.S. Gregory. He was probably 22, 23 years old at the time. He was hauling wheat from the West Coast don't ask me where they were getting the wheat. They were hauling it to Ireland. When the thing sprang a leak off Cape Horn in a storm, well, somehow they struggled along. The carpenter died trying to fix the pump, pump it out dry. The pump got clogged with wet wheat. The carpenter died from the fumes going down trying to get that pump unclogged. The captain and all but, all but five of the crew were blinded by the fumes. And finally, 600 miles off Ireland, they were finally sighted by another vessel and were taken off by Breach's boy into a lifeboat. And when my grandfather finally got home, he could have been captain on his next voyage, but guess what? He thought better of it and never went to sea again. Oh, come on. I took a trip on a train And I thought about you I passed a shadowy lane And I thought about you Two or three cars Parked under the stars Winding stream Moon shining down on some little town and with each beam, the same old dream At every stop that we made Oh, I thought about you But when I pulled down the shade Then I really felt blue I peeked through the crack And looked at the track The one going back to you what did I do? I thought about you.
At every stop that we made, yes, I thought about you. But when I pulled down the shade, then I really got blue. I peeked through the crack and looked at the track, the one going back to you. And what did I do? I thought about you. Plunk, plunk, Sonata, thinking about you. When I was a kid, some of my neighbors couldn't even look at a painting of a schooner without pointing out that this or that line was missing or, or some line was in the wrong place. They knew about all the rigging on the ship, and if it wasn't painted correctly, why, they'd complain about it. So now we read that another generation of St. George kids who can raise the cash for a two-week class, well, they can learn to sail too. This course is taught by people in St. George I don't know who can do things I can't do. We appreciate their willingness to teach young people how to sail, and we hope that the students will always have the time and resources to support their hobby. You probably know that the life of a sailor is not without risk. More than a few St. George people left the dock and didn't come back, and I knew some of them. Even in my time it was happening. Even recent years it's been happening. I made a... Do you remember me telling you about Captain Freddy? Captain Freddy went to sea when he was 17 or so, which is rather late in life. I have... I bought Captain Freddy's house, lived there for a few years, and I even used Captain Freddy's workbench in my barn. So I think about Captain Freddy all the time. When Captain Freddy was 17, he, he'd been asked to go before, uh, go to sea, when Captain Watts, who was his cousin or uncle or something, wanted him to help haul a load of coal from Baltimore and around Cape Horn to Japan someplace. Now, because most of the crew on these great big vessels were from other countries, the captain always liked to have a few local boys aboard, you know, a little, little support, moral support there. But Captain Freddy's mother had lost so many relatives to the sea that when he was 17 and was asked to go, she pleaded with him not to go. In telling about this 60-so years later, Captain Freddy said, you know, it was kind of funny how that all turned out, that... That vessel simply disappeared, and they never found a trace of it. I suppose it's just as well that I didn't go.
We don't play much Clifford. That's maybe one of the only Clifford things we have ever played on this program in years and years and years. He was a very logical player, wasn't he? You are, whether you know it or not, listening to The Humble Farmer, for which I am grateful. With any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time right here on your favorite radio station. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I am the humble farmer at gmail.com and it's been a tough year for those who drink while driving snowmobiles. And authorities are looking for common characteristics found in men who crack up. Now here's one common characteristic that might be found in men who crack up their snowmobiles. And the authorities might want to investigate this. My my friend John Riley told me that he once saw a guy standing up on a snowmobile, rocking it back and forth as it shot across an icy pond at 70 or so miles an hour. The whole thing flipped over, flippity doo and the man and his wife, who were, who were riding on the thing, they were thrown on the ice. And, was, and when the man stopped spinning, you can imagine, he immediately got up and rushed over to make sure that the... Uh, that the snowmobile was okay.
Hurl, Father Hines. Japanese salmon, but you already knew that. When was the last time you read The Count of Monte Cristo? Great, great, wonderful. Wonderful book, one of my favorite books, The Count of Monte Cristo. I must have read it the first time when I was 12 years old or so, and I've thought about it from time to time ever since, past 70 years. You, you remember, you'll remember that The Count of Monte Cristo was worth $100 million back before anyone ever heard of Exxon Profits. His goal in life was to destroy the three characters who had trumped up charges that had put him in jail, which is where he, excuse me here, which is where he met the priest who taught him all the languages and educated him, told him where the treasure was buried that made him rich. Anyway, you remember all that. This Count of Monte Cristo guy made Exxon executives look like bottle pickers. I mean, he was loaded. One day, one of the Count Monte Cristo's enemies, who was a banker named Danglas, they were talking together in Danglas' office, and and uh, Danglas said if he would do business with the Danglas Bank, he was prepared to issue him a a million dollars worth of credit. Whereupon the Count of Monte Cristo pulled a roll out of his pocket and said, "A million? I I carry that much around in." Pocket change, a million pocket change. And he laid the money on the table in front of the danglers. And he said, of what use would I have for such a trifling sum? (laughs) I remember hearing my father tell me that when I was a kid. Of what use would I have for such a trifling sum? And all of this was, was brought to mind when a very nice girl called me on the telephone to tell me that she could save me from the high interest rates I'm presently paying on my present credit card. (laughs) I told her I did use my credit card, but there was never any interest on it because I was in the habit of paying it off every month. Why not? Just pay it off. That didn't slow her down a bit because she started right off on another tack. She said they were prepared to give me a platinum card that was... Good for a $40,000 credit line. And yes, you've already figured out what I said to her then, haven't you? And you're going to use it yourself the next time they call and offer you a $40,000 credit line, aren't you? She says, we can give you a $40,000 credit line. I said, of what use would I have for such a trifling sum?
mit Bildim Peter Eklund. Radio Friend Bruce, thank you, Radio Friend Bruce. Radio Friend Bruce, way down New Hampshire, sent us this. Bruce says, I was looking at the Wikipedia entry for Art Farmer and came upon this. Art Farmer's identical twin brother, Addison Farmer, was a bass player. And once when an interviewer asked the brothers how they told each other apart, Art replied, In the morning, I pick up the bass. And if I can't play it, I know I'm Art.
monk, of course. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty straightforward for monk, though, wasn't it? Huh? Thank you for listening to the humble farmer here on your favorite radio station. With any luck at all, you can hear me right here every week at this time playing old-fashioned music just for you. If I can't hear the changes, you won't hear me playing it. I am the humble farmer at gmail.com. Do enjoy hearing from you. And here is a listener who writes, Dear Humble, Emma was learning to drive the other day and it was raining. She was sitting in the car and waiting to pull out into traffic and I was beside her offering words of wisdom. So I said, Now, Emma, when it's raining, you need to leave plenty of room between the cars when you pull out into traffic. But she heard the first two words, Now, Emma, she pulled out into the intersection and smashed into a minivan. <laughs> Isn't that awful? Now, Emma. It could have been much worse, yes. I don't know why I'm laughing. Thank you for passing that along. I am reading your letter because I think we all enjoy hearing things like this. And it, well, doesn't it let us know that we are not alone?
for listening to The Humble Farmer. My wife, Marsha, the almost perfect woman, has 47 first cousins. And one of these cousins came to visit us, and she said that they had an exchange student in their home for two weeks. Of course, they asked for an exchange student who didn't smoke. And he was a French kid from Zaire, wherever that is, and they picked him up They picked this kid because his picture looked so sweet and they figured he'd be less worldly than a French kid from France. But when he arrived at their home, he showed them some nude pictures of himself and he told them that his father and grandfather had taken him to a brothel to get him drunk on his 16th birthday because different cultures, because they have different habits, different customs. And... Imagine taking him to a brothel to get him drunk on his 16th birthday. And, of course, you go way down east on the coast of Maine, that kind of party wouldn't even be necessary. But, but then the cousin found a heap of cigarette butts under this kid's bedroom window. And this kid will think twice before he lies on an application again because they punished this kid. I don't even like talk about it. They punished him. Uh, they made him drive a car in Boston. I won't dance, don't ask me. I won't dance, don't ask me. I won't dance, madam, with you. My heart won't let my feet do things that they should do. You know what, you're lovely, you know what, you are so lovely, and oh, what you do to me. I'm like an ocean wave that's bumped on the shore. I feel so absolutely stumped on the floor. When you dance, you're charming and you're gentle. When you do the continental But this feeling isn't purely metal Cause heaven rest us I am not asbestos And that's why I won't dance Why should I? I won't dance How could I? I won't dance Merci beaucoup I know that music leads the way to romance So if I hold you in my arms I won't dance 
dance, you're charming and you're gentle. Especially when you do the continental. But this feeling isn't purely mental. Cause heaven rests us. I am not in Benson. That music leads the way to romance. So if I hold you in my arms, I won't dance. Oh, I wondered if he was going to bring that up to pitch there. <laughs> you are only one of millions of people who heard about the freshman at Eagle Rock Junior High who won first prize in the Greater Idaho Falls Science Fair. You'll remember that he was attempting to show how conditioned we have become to the alarmists practicing junk science and spreading fear of everything in our environment. In his project, he urged people to sign a petition demanding strict control or total elimination of the chemical dehydrogen monoxide and he gave the good reasons. There were plenty of good reasons for eliminating it, since it can, one, cause excessive sweating and vomiting. Two, it's a major component in acid rain. Three, it can cause severe burns in its gaseous state. Four, accidental inhalation can kill you. Five, it contributes to erosion. Six, it decreases effectiveness on of automobile brakes. Seven, it's been found in tumors of terminal cancer patients. Okay. He asked 50 people if they supported a ban of this chemical. 43 said yes, we should ban it. Six were undecided, and only one person knew that the chemical was water. The title of his prize-winning project was How Gullible Are We?, (laughs) 